yeah, I'm trusting, I'm really trusting today as we, as we go into the next uh, message of this little mini-series thing that we're doing, my biggest, my biggest prayer for us as a congregation is that God would bring something, I said it last week, of a roar into us, something of just faith that speaks volumes, a, a people that don't stand back and that trust God for big things, uh, a people that actually believe the songs that we're singing, because that's the easiest way to lie in church. You just sing these songs, but you don't believe it. But how amazing would it be if we actually come to a place where when we sing these things, when we sing that we serve a God who is able to raise the dead and that there is resurrection life in all he does, wouldn't it be amazing if we believe that to such an extent that we actually live that out, that we pray those prayers, and that our prayers are not only that God would bless our food and give us a good night's rest and I don't think there's many students left here, but for the students that he would bless your next exam, um, but that our prayers would be bigger than that. Amen. We want big prayers because we serve a big God. And so I don't know if you've got the title slide, but, um, but we're doing a few weeks of praying dangerous prayers. And you know, I'm, I'm really so convicted that, that sometimes we fall into these patterns of, Christian, of Christianity where at some stage, maybe there was a lot of faith in you. At some stage when you prayed, you, were, you felt like you could walk on water. I remember as a young Christian, when I just gave my life to the Lord, I read the Bible and I honestly just believed what it said because I experienced it for myself. It changed my life. And so when I read that Peter walked on water, I went to our swimming, swimming pool outside and I said, Lord, I'm sure that you can do this. So I'm going to step on the water now and I'm going to sink. <laughs> And, uh, and I tried that a couple of times, and I remember being in bed at night and, and reading about angels and just saying, whoa, Lord, I'm, I'm a little bit scared, but I believe if there are angels, then I can probably see angels as well. So I said, Lord, I'm going to open my eyes, and I'm going to count to three, and Lord, I'm not scared. I'm, I'm okay to see an angel now. One, two, three, no angel, all right. <laughs> but I wasn't, you know, and God has his reasons why he does some things and he doesn't do other things, but, but I really did believe God for the miraculous, I really believed it, and we saw it as young Christians. I saw the miraculous through my life, in my life. I saw God healing brokenness in me. I saw God transforming me into a new person. I saw that when I prayed for others, others would come to faith. I saw healing, saw all of those things, and I've realized that our Christianity can become so dull and tamed if we don't contend for it and say, God, I want to be a person of dangerous prayers. I want to contend for that life. I want to keep living that life. And so anyway, we're going through a couple of prayers and the specific one we're going to look at tonight or this afternoon is that God would send us, that we'd pray a dangerous, and that is a dangerous prayer. Most of us are thinking, oh shucks, what if I pray that and God sends me to Ethiopia or something, right? <laughs> and he might, he might, but I'm hoping to look at the Bible and, and just look at what I believe the Bible means when, when we should be people who say, Lord, anything, anytime, anywhere, send me for your purpose. Because that's, that is a dangerous Christianity. If you've got a bunch of people who are not so settled on Stellenbosch and settled on their lives and settled on the status quo, but that will honestly raise their hands and say, God, here I am, send me, use me, however you want, you've got a dangerous people. You honestly have a dangerous people. And, I've, I've got, and we as elders and just we as people, we've got such a desire that this would be not an average Joe church or average Joe congregation, but that we would be a people that pray these dangerous prayers. And it could cost you everything, but I'm hoping that tonight you'll count the cost and say it's worth it. It's worth following Jesus with everything. 
So, I'm, so when we look at the concept of, of God sending us, I want to tell you a little bit about our little girls just quickly. And all of you know that we've, or most of you know, I'm not going to assume all of you know, but we've got uh, two little girls, Lenka and Clara. They're two and a half years old now. And a while ago, we transitioned them from their little baby beds, from their cots, to big beds, big girl beds. And it was absolute chaos. About three times in the evenings, we'd just hear, Gudwaf! and one of them would fall off the bed <laughs> because they're used to being in a little prison at night where they can't come and do anything. But now we've taken them out of the prison, and we're like, okay, you're going to be in your big bed now. They were extremely excited. But now it's like, this is your own room, and, and it's a lot more effort now that they've moved there because now they can get off the bed, they can, they can get into the cupboards, they can stand, they can open the window, the, the blinds by themselves, they can open the curtains, they can knock on the door and say, Mom, Dad, I'm awake. They can do all of those things, pull all of their books out, pull the clothes out, put on all the shoes. They are messy little creatures, right? <laughs> they honestly are. And so it's re- been really exciting to get them into their own rooms, but now it's, it's, it's quite messy. And so obviously as you transition as a parent, the idea would be that they can clean up their own mess. That's like parenting when you've made it. Your children can clean up their own mess. You don't have to go make their bed every morning, pack all the shoes back, pack the clothes back again. Anyway, all of those things. So I just want you to, this is sort of my vision where I'm heading towards. But this is sort of something I'm, I'm seeing playing out in my mind. Just imagine you get to that point with your children, and you go to your children and you give them an explicit command, and you say, Okay, Lenka and Clara, I'm going to come back, but what I want you to do is please clean your room. I'm going to be away for a while. I'm going to come back, and I want to see that you cleaned your room. And you go away, and just imagine they're a bit older now. And imagine I come back to the room, and I speak to them, and they say to me, You know what, Dad? You said clean your room, and when you left, we did a study on the Greek of the words, clean your room. And we had such incredible revelation. We started praying about this concept, clean your room. It was amazing, Lord. We, we, felt, we felt the presence of God. It was beautiful. The Shekinah glory was in the room with us. It was amazing. And they said, so we've got the Greek. We prayed for it. We started strategizing about how we're going to clean our room. We've got a plan drawn up. Let me show you our plan. We thought we're going to start here, then do that, then do that. It's going to be amazing. You know what I would say? It's not that complicated. All I said is clean your room, right? And I think when it comes to God sending us, we do a similar thing as Christians. In Matthew 28, there's an explicit command given to every Christian where Jesus says to, me, says to us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and now he gives that authority to us, to us and he says, this is the last words of Jesus. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And what we do as churches, we say, Jesus, you won't believe it, but we did a Greek study on the words, go therefore. It was so encouraging. We worship. We've got this song that we sing, go therefore. It's amazing, Lord. Your presence was with us when we sang it. And Lord, we've got strategies. We know how we're going to infiltrate our town and different nations. We're going to do all of these things. And I believe what God is saying to us, that's not what I asked of you. I asked you to do something. I asked you to go therefore. And you know what the Greek is for go? Go. It's, it's simple. <laughs> it's just, it's go. Just, it's a simple message. Jesus is giving us a simple message, but we've got a misconception, and somehow we theorize about it, we strategize about it, we pray about it, which are not wrong in itself, 
but we end up not sticking up our hands and saying, here I am, Lord, send me, and then putting action to our words and following through for various reasons. And I believe that God wants us to be a people to raise our hands. We're going to look at it later, as Isaiah did, and said, God will say to us, who can I send? Who will go for me? That will say, God, I'll go. I'll go. I'll be the one that you can send anywhere, anytime, to do anything. I want to be a vessel for you. I want to be used by you. So I'm going to preach through literally tonight. It's going to be a simple message through three verses in the, in the book of Matthew. It's Matthew 4, verse 18 to 20. I'm going to read it for us, and then we'll go through it bit by bit. <clears throat> so I think you've got all of them there. So it says, this is now Jesus. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, which is the place where Jesus lived, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. That's the simple message that I'm going to preach tonight, that I want to go through. And I want to speak about four concepts. But the big question, the concept I want to get to is how the heck did these guys actually put into action the command of Jesus to go? He called them, and what they did is, the word used here is immediately they left everything they were doing and they put action to their belief and they went with Jesus and they were willing to do anything for him. That is the example that we will emulate. We don't want to be those people that say, Lord, let me first find a girlfriend. Let me first get engaged. Let me first get married. Let me first finish my studies. Let me first, let me first, let me first. We want to be like those people to say, I will leave everything and not theorize about it, but I will go. And these people actually did it. And the question is, why did they do it? What got them to the point of saying, my life is completely yours? And so I'll go through four things here. I'm going to mention them to you, and then we're going to go through them bit by bit. The first thing is, Jesus saw them. They did not see Jesus. I'll explain it now in a moment. The second thing is, they were only fishermen. Only fishermen. Second thing is, third thing is, they were fishermen transformed into fishermen of men. That's what God did. And the fourth thing is, because of who God is, they left everything immediately and followed him. So let's look at that first part. And I'm going to just chuck in a couple of other scriptures as we go. By the way, my name's Leonard, but I think I know all of you. <laughs> Most of you, there's like a few faces that I don't know. So um, Matthew 4 verse 18a, it starts by saying, while they were walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Can you just say that with me? He saw. Not seesaw, he saw. <laughs> okay. He saw. <laughs> he saw two brothers. Jesus saw two brothers. Now, the profound thing about that is these people who were used by God were not looking for God. God was looking for them. You see, that's my child. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's a demon coming out or something. <laughs> of uncleanliness. <laughs> I'm just, I'm kidding. That's, I don't know if that's a bad joke. I'm just, I'm just kidding. They're not saved yet, but they'll get saved some stage. Then we can do that. <laughs> Where was I, anyway? <laughs> Esau. 
Okay. So, um, where was I? See, I. I know seesaw. Yes, seesaw. Okay. Esau, Esau, two brothers. Here's the thing. God, God saw them. They were not looking for God, but God was actually looking for them. And, you know, ultimately, when God looks at the world, he has got a purpose for the world. He loves the world. The, the Bible is so clear about it. The, the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is about, actually about Jesus. Or the Old Testament as well. It is about Jesus. Actually, there's this profound little scripture in the New Testament, after Jesus was resurrected, and he walks with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he explains to them how everything written in the Old Testament was actually about him. Everything, the entire Bible is the message of salvation. It is the message of a God who would, who would come, who would not say, you need to attain to my level, but say, say, I see broken humanity. I will come down to their level. I will live as a human being. I will live a perfect life, but take their sin upon my shoulders I will die on the cross for their sake so that they can have life. That is the entire message of the Bible woven in there. That is the message of salvation, of redemption, of our people keep falling, but God keeps saying, I've, I've got you. I will reach out to you. Look at it. Look at the Bible. It goes like this. People fall, God says, I will redeem. People fall, God says, I will redeem. And through Jesus, God says, once and for all now, I will make a way for you to be redeemed. That is the entire message of the Bible, because God, in, inherently, God desires all men to be saved. I believe that, and, and I will stake my life on it. God desires all people to be saved. He came to the earth, he died on the cross with all of our, our names on his mind, but of every other person who does not know them, he had them, their names on his mind. He came for the purpose of setting us free and giving us eternal life and bringing us into right relationship with him. He came for that purpose. Now, here's the thing. God does not need us to accomplish his purposes, but he chooses to need us. Now, that's an oxymoron. It is. But I would say in the Bible what it is is we call it attention. He does not need you. He is God. You are a human being. It's, it's further away than a human being is from an ant, is how far God away is from us, in his thinking, in his ways. He does not need us. He can do anything he wants at any time, but he chooses to need us. He chooses to say that I want people to carry my message of salvation into this world. I choose to reveal myself to others so that they can reveal me to the people around them. That is his chosen way. It's what God destined and designed. So he has a purpose. But then he says he is going to come and he will come and redeem people. He says you're not putting up your hand and saying I'm going to do something for God. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to reach out. No, he says, I'm looking for you. Firstly, that's the first thing they needed to realize. They were not looking for God. God was looking for them, and he came and he saved them. I, just in worship, I was actually thinking, I wish I could um, quickly look for a photo of the old Leonard uh, just before I got saved, before I gave my life to Jesus. I was 17 years old. I wanted to send Zahn one, but I thought, I'm not going to be on Facebook uh, in worship. You are going to judge me. And that's not going to be nice. <laughs> but I just, I just remembered the old Leonard. I was not looking for God. And so, so there's these theological, there's the theological conundrum that lots of people struggle with. Calvinism or meaningism. Meaning, does God pick me? Do I pick God? Like, how does this whole thing work? And, and 
I want to say I probably lean towards the fact that we have some, like we need to put up our hand and say, God, I want to follow you. But if I look at how God saved me, I feel like I had no choice. <laughs> I feel like he chose me. He predestined it. He, he brought everything together and he said, Leonard, my son, I'm calling you. I love you. He put everything. He put the circumstances in the right order for me to get to know him. Remember, I was 17 years old. My family set up as a mess. I, I come from a broken household. My parents got divorced when I was really young. My father is not in the picture, financially not stable. He's a bit of a hermit, not a bit of a hermit. He, he stays on his own. He doesn't really mix with people. That's the one side. My mom was und undiagnosed, bipolar. So my life was really up and down. Financially, we were not stable. I was in the wrong group of friends. I, I got involved with everything that you're not supposed to get involved in. I was not looking for God. We were not going to church. I was not a good church boy. I was none of those things. None of it. Like, I, I was the naughty boy that ended up in jail. <laughs> like, just a little bit. Just for like an hour or so to scare me. <laughs> but I was, I was that kid. I was the kid who, who binge drank every single weekend. I would pass out somewhere and be found the next morning. That was me. That was my life. I was not looking for God. I, I was not looking for him. I was not trying to say, how can I find some purpose in this life? I was not looking for him. But then in 2007, when I was 17 years old, my, my life took a turn for the worst, completely. My mom wanted to commit suicide, and that really traumatized me. My family stepped in, and at that point, I moved to a new town, went to a new school, and I went on to this church camp. I don't know how I found myself there, but I found myself in worship like we were in today. And I just realized that my life is not working out like I thought it was going to. And I reached out to God in that moment and just started worshiping. And I felt the presence of God coming into that place. And I experienced God for the first time in my life, really. And he came into my life. I can't really explain it, but, but he chose me. He was looking for me. Yes, I needed to respond. Yes, I needed to say, God, now thank you for looking for me. Now I'm going to seek you as well. Now I'm going to give my life to you. But ultimately, he was looking for us. We have nothing to boast about. He loves us. And the only reason we can love him is because he first loved us. If you are sitting here, and whether you know God or not, I want to remind you, if you know God, remind you of your salvation. Remind you that actually you had zilch to do with it. God was looking for you. You might have forgotten about it. You might think that you had some role to play. You had no role to play. If you are sitting here and you do not know God, then maybe God has really brought you here so that you could get to know him. He might have orchestrated things in your life to a point where you can actually get to know him because he is looking for you. He sees you. He saw them. He saw these two people and he came to them. And I think that must have blown them away because they knew about Jesus. They knew he was a rabbi. He was a famous teacher. And somehow this famous teacher, while they're just fishing, he comes to them. God comes to us. That's sinking in. <laughs> he comes to us. He's such a good God. Cannot overemphasize it. Every other religion on the face of this planet says, you come to God. The, the God of the Bible says, I come to you. I come to you. And I must believe that if we serve the true God, then that is the way that he will do it. Right? He won't just create us and say, well, figure it out on your own. He, he will say, I will come to you. I will come to you, and he did that. He came to them. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10, still on this theme. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Nothing we could do could earn salvation for us. It's not by being a good person or, or stopping your sin or doing good things. It's not that. So that we cannot boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You cannot boast because God saw you and you did not see him. And I think if we, if we grasp that, that's going to want to firstly make us follow him wherever he goes. The Bible says those who have been forgiven much love much. And I believe if we come to a revelation of seeing the bigness of God and that a big God, the God who created the universe, would stop and come for you, then you'd be like, God, anything. Anything. I'll do anything for you. But if you believe in a tiny God or a God where you had to do something for salvation, you'd be like, oh, let's bargain about this. Can we bargain? I I had something to do with my salvation, so maybe as we go forward, we can just chat about this. I'll do Stellenbosch. I won't do Boxburg, right? I'll do Stellenbosch. I won't do Somerset West, right? I'll I'll do full-time ministry. I won't do full-time ministry. I'll reach out to these people. I won't reach out to those people. But if you realize how lost you were and that there's a big God that came after you, you'll be like, God, I don't deserve anything, so here's my life. Here's my life. I have nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with the fact that I'm spiritually alive today, but you came. Your level of giving your life to God is directly proportionate to your level of understanding this concept, that you did not deserve it, but God said, I want you. If you see that, And I'm trusting that God drops it in your heart somewhere. My words cannot convey it. I've so many times felt, I don't know if you've felt this, when you become a Christian and your life changes, I feel like I I don't have the words to explain it. I I wish I could just take what's in my heart, what I'm experiencing, and give it to you. There we go. (laughs) Anyone felt like that? I can't explain it to you. I just just take it. (laughs) I can't with my words express the gratitude of a God that would do that that gave everything for me, how can I not give everything to him? How can we not? That's the first thing the disciples realized here. Second thing, the reason that they were so eager to leave everything and immediately follow Jesus is because they were fishermen. Now, in Afrikaans, a fisherman is a matruas. And we've got this saying, je fluxus a matruas. (laughs) You swear like a fisherman, right? Normally, fishermen are not the best kind of people that they are. So I'm not sure about Bible times. Maybe they were like the great people back then. But today, fishermen are those people who are on the ships for long times, away from their families. They live a debaucherous life many times. Now, here's the thing that I know about fishermen in the Bible. If you were a Jewish boy, then you went through classes so that you could get to know the Pentateuch. And Jewish kids today still, who grew up, grow up in Jewish households, they know the Bible exceptionally well, especially the first five books of the Bible. Most of it, they can say off by heart. They know it. It's in there. They learn it from such a young age, they get, it gets drilled into them. Now, if you were a young Jewish boy back then, and you showed potential, meaning you, you, they saw that there was potential in you to really get to know this, and you, you got wisdom from the Bible... Then they would say, okay, now we can take you to a next step and you could further learn parts of the Bible. And then maybe you could become a rabbi later on. If you were not so clever, what you did mostly is you would take on the occupation of your parents, of your father specifically if you're a boy. 
you would learn the trade from your father. So what we know of these people is they had some form of background, probably about being a Jew, but they were not the clever of the clever. They were, in fact, average Joes. And the, what, there's a couple of things I aspire to in my life. One of them is that I want to be a preacher that makes it very well known that I'm an average Joe. That's one of the things that I aspire to in my life. I want to make sure that people know that I'm an average bloke, <laughs> saved by Jesus. I'm not a professional. I don't want to be a professional. I don't want to be that person that just waxes eloquent and, and sounds, like, sounds like they've got everything together. You, you guys who know me, you know that I'm a brother first before I'm an elder here. You know that I share my weaknesses with you. Amen? Like, you know that. Because I just, I want to make it so clear that I'm only a sinner saved by grace. That's all I am. And if you put me on a pedestal, break that damn pedestal. <laughs> I don't know if damn's a swear word. Just break that thing. <laughs> just break it. I'm not supposed to be on any pedestal. I'm just a sinner saved by a savior. That's all I am. God has maybe called me to do something in his house, in his church. And some of you might see that as more important than other things. I do not. If I could pick, there are many days where I would say, I would rather just be part of the church. I, but God has called me to this, and so I do it, right? But, but I, make it, I try and make it as clear as possible that I am a normal person. I, I, was, not, I was not the A student. Lots of you were a, a students at school, so maybe this is not as applicable to you. I was not that. I'm sorry. You can stop being my friend now. <laughs> not as clever as many of you. When I speak to... Who did I speak to the other day that told me a couple of people had like 99% for maths that I've spoken to? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Some of them are sitting here probably. And then I spoke to, ah, oh, I won't mention the name. I spoke to someone who's actually sitting here today, I think, <laughs> that I said, no, 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 he's not. Let me see. No, he's not. He's not here. <laughs> and then I said to him, yeah, I heard some people have 99% for maths. And he said, I said, and you? And he's like, no, like just above 95, I think. But, and he tried to do a humble brag. And he says, but it's not all of our, it's not our, the best subject for all of us, you know. So I said, okay, what was your best subject? And he said, science. What did you get? 100%. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got 60%, I think, for science. I really struggled there. The rest were okay. Struggled with science. Like, I am an average person. And most of us, if we are very honest, then maybe you are above average in academics, but you are very average in other parts of your life. Most of you, your looks, right? <laughs> you are very average. <laughs> I won't point fingers. But <laughs> but we are very average. But what God does is he likes to take normal people. Probably the only abnormal person that he calls in the Bible that I see is the Apostle Paul. So he can take the clever of this world and make them into magnificent people. But sometimes I think it's more difficult because when you think you are something, man, to get off that throne is difficult. But God loves to come to the weak, to the meek, to those who know that their lives are a mess. To those, those who know that they need him, those are the people that he says, to you I will come. To you I will come. And so he comes to these people not deserving it. They, didn't, they weren't the most qualified. They didn't know the Bible the best. But God comes to them and he sees them and he calls them.
by name. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29 states this so brilliantly. It says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you, not saying not all of you, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Listen, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. If you are boasting in any area of your life, you do not realize how average you really are and how above average God is and that he wants you to come in a place of weakness and humility. If you realize that, again, that's going to bring you to a place of saying, God, what can I do for you? But now that you've called me, if you believe in me, I believe in me. We need to come to that place. So I had a guy um, that believed in me when I was a student, and it shaped me completely. I was, um, so I got saved, but then there was still a very far way to go for me, very far. So then I was this um, punk rocker, musician, vibe thing guy. (laughs) And I would buy girls skinny jeans, I'm scared to admit, but I would buy girls skinny jeans. Size 26, I was really skinny. (laughs) No jokes. (laughs) I'm not that skinny anymore. (laughs) Later on, size 28 at least, but size 26 before that, I could only find it in the women's. Don't judge me, people. (laughs) And I would buy from Pip, I would buy these little shoes that also didn't fit. And I would cut the back and put a a lace in there so that it fits this little shoe. And I'd I'd wear a beanie with long hair. And I would just want to play any instruments under the sun. That was me. You don't believe me. I promise you. (laughs) That was me as a young Christian. I wanted to be like the Christian Jack Johnson. I thought that that's going to be cool. Like, peace to everyone, man. Peace to everyone. <laughs> Jesus loves you, man. I a... <laughs> wanted to be like that. And then, <laughs> and then there was one guy that I think saw past it. Um, and he, just, he really just believed in me. He just said, Leonard, I see something of your, on your life. I see God calling you to be a leader in the church. I see it. And because he saw it, it changed me. I didn't have a father figure, so I think it changed me even more because of that. But it changed me completely. Now, what about a God who says, you don't actually have anything to offer, but I see it in you. I see that you can be someone who follows me, and we're going to see it now. And I'll, I'll take you, and I'll take you from a fisherman to a fisher of men. That is beautiful. That makes me want to say, Lord, anything, anytime, anywhere for you. Because my life is just going to be so average without you. Um, Remember, just the last thing on this, going a bit long, but Carla, I've told this story before, but for her, she, for the longest time, felt like she did not want to be in full-time ministry or that she, her, her dream of being used by God, which I think God wants to stretch in all of us, she wanted to have a beautiful house, marry a wine farmer or something, like... I work with the new wine, so it's sort of technically. <laughs> so, <laughs> to be like married to a wine farmer, have a beautiful house with a beautiful long table, and her dream was when missions team come past, then she can host them. That's, God was going to use her that way. Right? 
And when we got into a relationship, she was like, no, no way. This is not the life I see for myself, kicking against it. And then she went to watch a movie called Downton Abbey. She tried to force me to watch the newest one the other evening. I just flat out refused. I will not. <laughs> I don't wear those jeans anymore. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> anyway, and there's a scene in the movie. She was watching this movie with her mom, and there's a scene in the movie where, uh, the, as I understand it, the butler gets, he actually retired, but he gets called, the, the queen or the king or someone is coming to Downton Abbey. Somewhere. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. He's coming to that place. And then he gets called, and he's asked, will you come? And then his response was, where the king wants me, there I will be. And my wife says she sat in that movie cinema, and it felt like someone took a bucket of ice water and just threw her in the face. And she had this moment of saying, well, why is she not like that? But she, it was, honestly, that movie changed her life. Because I think that God used her to speak to her. Where the king wants me, there I will be. I'm average. I don't have big dreams. But if God wants me somewhere, I will do it. Because he called me from nothing and made me into somebody. Third thing is he takes these people from fishermen to fishers of men. And I think the biggest fear why many of us don't want to put up, you know that scary prayer of like God send me anywhere? Be honest, it's scary. Why? Because you're scared God's going to send you some horrible place, right? <laughs> We've got this idea of God that he just wants to punish us, and then he, he laughs. Ha, ha, ha. I'll make it bad for you. Ha, ha, ha. That's what we think. Come, be honest. I was like that. I'm like, if I pray, this is like brutally honest. You're looking into my heart now. For a long time, I thought, God, if I pray that, what if you send me back to Boxburg where I come from? <laughs> no jokes. I really thought that. Like, what if you do? And I went on a missions trip to Uganda, and I remember struggling with the people there. It's so different. The world is so different there. And I remember, like, I can't pray this prayer because, God, what if you send me to Uganda? <laughs> come, is there anyone else honest enough? <laughs> Say, Donnie, oh, listen to me, Donnie Rainer, what if God sends you back to Belgium, eh? <laughs> I think he'd be, actually be keen if God wants to use him. Um, but I think many of us, we, we get stuck there, and I want to say, maybe he does. Maybe he does. And we, if we get a revelation of the first two things, then I stand before you as I stand before God now, and say I'll have to drag my wife there, but I will go back to Boxburg if God calls me there. I will go to Uganda if God calls me there. Why? Because I've got a revelation of how much God loves this world, how much he loved me, and how much I know that he wants to love others in that same way, and I'm willing to do it wherever. I've stuck up my hand because I've got a revelation of how big our God is and how he's called me. I've come to that place, and he's had to bring me there. It's been a difficult road. And, and the, the thing is, he might, but I want to say most probably he's not going to do that. Most probably he's going to stay by, by saying, you saying I'm going to send you, I'm going to start sending you right where you are. That's where I'm going to start sending you. Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit of God has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. He's speaking to people in Jerusalem when he says this. Jesus says this to them. Where's the first place you will be my witnesses? In Jerusalem. That's like Jesus being crucified in Stellenbosch. And he's saying, 
You will be my witnesses in Stellenbosch. Most probably the first place that God is going to start using you is right where you are. Right where you are. Should you be willing to uproot everything and go, yes, that should be our heart. But he's going to start using you right where you are. In your faculty. In your workplace. In your family. In Stellenbosch. In the Winelands area. Where you've got a job. Wherever. Those are the places that God will start using you. It says in Jerusalem. And in all Judea, which was the outlining area. And Samaria. And even to the ends of the earth. When we are faithful with, God, with saying, God, my hand is up. Use me in your church. However you want, use me. I'm willing. Use me in my community. However you want, I'm willing. Use me in my job. However you want, I'm willing. When we get to that place, then God extends our boundaries, and he starts using us even further than that. Like, I'm, I'm just amazed. I'm honestly, I'm honestly, I don't know how I got to this point that God has used me so I think it's just because I stuck up my hand, not because there's anything special about me, that God has used me to plant a church in Stellenbosch, now probably basically two churches in Stellenbosch, 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. It's like, guys, come spend time with me. Is that Holy Spirit? What's it? <laughs> Is it a bird? <laughs> I'm a normal person, and then God used me, like during lockdown, I just put up my hand and said, God, I'm, I'm available felt God saying we should start something in Worcester. There's a church in Worcester now. Now we're busy in Portchefstroom. What the heck are we doing in Portchefstroom? I don't know. Like, this sermon is going to be streamed to Portchefstroom because we've got 10 to 20 people there that are watching these sermons every week and they want to plant a church in Portchefstroom. How? I don't know. And that was not my vision. My vision was just, Lord, right here where I am, Lord, I want to stick up my hand for a year. And God will start using us. He'll extend our our territory. I don't know if Rainer minds that I use him as an example. He's got his Belgian friends here. So good, so good to have you, Thomas and Laura. They are they're visiting a bit, but just had a chat with Rainer a while ago, and he was in Belgium, and he had, to be honest, probably lots of it was a horrible time in Belgium. He went for studies. Um, I heard from Thomas and, and Laura that they, they call him Rhino, not Rhino, so Rhino. <laughs> it's the English way to say it. And then they started calling him Crino because of all of his crying. <laughs> Found it very, it's your birthday, Rhino. Happy birthday, man. <laughs> Forgot. <laughs> and when he came back to South Africa, he was still not in the best place of his life. And then God started doing a work of restoration in him. God started working in him. And we had a chat a while ago, and he came to me, and he says, he was just praying for Belgium. He's really got Belgium on his heart. He's got friends there. Maybe God wants to even do things, something in your lives that you'll be in and make an impact there. I believe it. But he said, he was just praying about it, and then he said, he's like, God, please send someone to Belgium. And he, started, he felt God saying, what if I send you? <laughs> and he came to me, and he said, Leonard, please help me be equipped, because I don't know what I would do if God sends me to Belgium. And, and so he's been giving himself to that purpose. Maybe God wants to use him in Belgium. I don't know. But do we have that art? We've got Carl Hein. I'm just going to mention people. He, he, he came as such a flaky guy into this church. Those of you who know. <laughs> he was so flaky. He was really a hit and a miss. He was here now and then. I had a few coffees with him. I was so middle with the guy. I'm like, please, man, you, 
Anyway, yeah. <laughs> sister's sitting here. Carl Hine has grown leaps and bounds because he's just put up his hands and said, God send me. And it started here. And now there's a very big possibility he's praying about going to Switzerland next year to a small church just to go support there. We've got a, another guy that's potentially put up his hands to, to go to Pochevstruem. Uh, and um, he received potentially, it wasn't in paper, on, on pen and paper, a massive job offer. I'm speaking like potentially hundreds of thousands of rand a month for a job after his studies. But he's just saying, like, I feel like I want to put up my hand to go to Pochevstruem. There's 10, 15 people there. I want to go and help. Like, that is, those are heroes of the faith for us, people. That might not be you. For you, it needs to maybe start with saying, Lord, I put up my hand for the people around me. Use me. Send me. You need to just start there. Just, sorry, guys, I'm going long. And then the last thing I want to focus on is they did it immediately. Immediately. And um, I want to say whatever is stopping you, you, you need to come to a place of saying, Lord, like now, now is the time for me to put up my hands. I'm going to skip this last scripture that I wanted to share with you. But basically it's a guy coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, can I be your disciple? And Jesus says to him, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man, Jesus, has nowhere to rest his head. Meaning, if you're going to follow me, life is not going to be as you expected. If your aim for your life is to study, find a good job, marry, have 2.2 children, or what's the stat? <laughs> have 2.2 children, retire by 60 or 55 if you're lucky and you really work hard. If that is the goal for your life, you are wasting your life. You are wasting your life. The life that Jesus calls us to is this. Foxes have holes, birds have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. Your life should be, as Jesus said, if the, like the Spirit, like the wind. No one knows where it's coming from. No one knows where it's going. We should be, um, what is the word now? Ah, sorry, I can't find it. Unpredictable. Our lives should be unpredictable because we need to be those people that say, God, wherever you want, and God will start sending us and he will start using us. That is the type of life that God calls us to if we put up our hand. I'm going to ask you to stand now. Maybe you can stand. You can stand, actually. Isaiah 6, verse 8. Um. It's Isaiah, and this is the prayer that I want to encourage you to pray with me today. And Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. That is a freaking dangerous prayer. <laughs> Here I am, send me. In Romans 10, if I'm not mistaken, it says, How will they know if someone doesn't actually go to them? So we can pray for the world, but we need to be those people who say, Lord, here I am, I am willing to go. I'm willing to do anything for you because you have saved me and you've redeemed me. And if he hasn't saved you and redeemed you, then maybe even tonight he wants to come do that. And he's not going to stop with that. He's not just going to give you a ticket to heaven. He's going to make you someone purposeful in his hands. He's going to use you if you are willing to pray that dangerous prayer. So are you ready to pray? <laughs> are you? 
Okay. <laughs> Let's respond. I don't know if we can get the anointing in front somewhere. <laughs> okay. Just to play for us. But let's, let's close our eyes where we are. Just take a moment and ponder on this. Just ponder on this, on this truth. As you've got your eyes closed, don't get distracted now. Just, just think of this truth. Think of the fact that we serve such a good God. A God that says, even though you, you're not looking for me, I have looked for you. Think of your salvation. If you've given your life to Jesus, and not everyone has necessarily, but if you've given your life to Jesus, think of how he pursued you ruthlessly. Think of how he put people around you. Think of how he got people to share the message and show the love of Jesus to you. Think of those things, that you've got a God that ruthlessly pursued you because he wants you to know him. Think of that for a moment. Just just let it sink in. Let the goodness of God that is willing to die on a cross, but not only that, but to come for you. To say, my son or my daughter, I know you by name. I know exactly who you are. I know your hurts. I know your pain. I know the good things in your life. I know everything about you. I have come so that you can know me. Think of that good God. Then think of a God who would come and take you as an average person and say, I know that you are nothing in this world, but I want to come and I want to come and live in you. I want to give you my life. I want to save you. And if you were a fisherman, I want to make you a fisher of man. Whatever you do, I want to transform it to be for my glory. Think of a God that says, if you would put up your hand tonight, if you would say, Lord, here I am, send me. If you would pray that dangerous prayer, think of a God who says, my son, my daughter, I delight in that prayer and I will use you for my purposes. That is the God that we serve now. So those of you who want to respond to that prayer, maybe before I do that, just, just stay, in this, stay in this place. Before I do that, I want to give an opportunity if you don't know God yet and you want to know Him. It's not going to be to embarrass you. Everyone's eyes are closed. It's literally just for me to see. I just want to know if I'm praying for someone here tonight. If that's you, if you say, oh man, I know that God has destined me to be here tonight. I know that he's destined me to be here, to hear this message. I just, I, I just, I'm experiencing it in my heart that God really loves me. And there's no pressure. There's no pressure. But if God is speaking in your heart, if, and you'll probably experience something in this moment, if that's you, I want to ask you, no one's looking around. Can I ask you to just raise your hand so that I can see it? You want to give your life to Jesus. You want to make right with Him. Thank you. Thanks, man. Is there anyone else? I'll pray with you afterwards. Anyone else? Okay, so now, if you want to pray that dangerous prayer, can I ask you to raise your hand? Because <laughs> that's like, if... If, if you're in a class and the teacher says, Leonard, then I say, I say here I am. <laughs> I raise my hand as the prayer of like, here I am, send me. And if the question tonight is God saying to us, who can I send? Who will go for me? That's why I'm saying, let's raise your hand to say, here I am, Lord, send me. And I just want to pray for us for a moment. 
Lord, as we come before you, your people, Lord, we want to say, here we are, send us, Lord. Send us into our workplaces, Lord. Send us into our families, Lord. Use us in the church even, Lord. Use us with people around us. Use us in our friendship groups, Lord. Use us. We want to be vessels for your honor, Lord. We want to be, we want to be used by a God who loves the world and chooses to use us to love the world as well, Lord. Lord, for every hand raised now, Lord, I pray that you would come, Lord, that there would be a sense of a commissioning now, Lord, that you would even drop thoughts in our minds, Lord, of, of the places that you want to use us, Lord, that you would show us the people that you want to reach out to, Lord, that you'd show us the places that you want us to be a vessel for you, someone used by you in the church or with, outside of the church, Lord, I pray that you would show us, Lord. I pray that you would break our hearts, Lord, for the world that does not know you, Come and break our hearts, Lord, because it breaks your heart, Lord. Come and break our hearts, God. We just ask, God, that you would come, that you would work in our hearts, and that you would make us a daring people, Lord. If you say foxes of old, birds of nests, but the Son of Man has no way to rest his head, Lord, we want to be like that. I want to say, yes, Lord, we're in Stellenbosch now, but you can use us wherever. Yes, Lord, we're studying or working now, but you can ask us to do anything. Yes, Lord, it's uncomfortable for us to speak to certain people, but Lord, we're willing to speak. Lord, we, commission, we, we give ourselves to you, and I just pray commissioning over everyone now. Lord, I pray for your commissioning. I pray that the great commandment that we should go into all the nations, Lord, I pray that it would resonate in us. Let it resonate in us, in Jesus' name.